Greetings. Welcome to Portillo's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2022 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should need operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce your host, Barbara Novarini Portello's Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Fiscal Fourth Quarter 2022 Earnings Call. With me on the call today is Michael Osanlu, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Michelle Hook, the company's Chief Financial Officer. Let me also remind everyone that part of today's discussion will include forward-looking statements. These statements are not guarantees of future performance and should not be unduly relied upon. We do not undertake to update these forward-looking statements unless required by law and refer you to today's earnings press release and our SEC filings for more detailed discussion of the risks that could impact Portillo's future operating results and financial condition. Our remarks also include non-GAAP financial measures, such as adjusted EBITDA and restaurant-level adjusted EBITDA. We direct you to our earnings release issued this morning, which is available on our website, for the reconciliations of these non-GAAP measures to the most comparable GAAP measures. Any non-GAAP financial measure should not be considered as an alternative to GAAP measures, such as net income or operating income, or any other GAAP measure of our liquidity or financial performance. Finally, after we deliver our prepared remarks, we will open the lines for your questions. Now let me turn the call over to Michael Osanlu, President and Chief Executive Officer. Thank you, Barb, and good morning, everyone. We appreciate you joining us for our year-end earnings call. Portillo's had a great first full year as a publicly traded company. Our brand is synonymous with quality and value, and true to form, we closed 2022 with solid financial results. And we're off to a great start for 23. I'm excited to share more about what's on the horizon for us, give you a preview of this year, but before I do, let me recap our fourth quarter financial results. In the fourth quarter of 2022, total sales increased 8.6% to $150.9 million. Same restaurant sales grew 6%. For the fiscal year of 2022, total sales increased 9.7% to $587.1 million. Same restaurant sales grew 5.4%. We ended the year with an average unit volume of $8.5 million per restaurant. Restaurant-level adjusted EBITDA margin was 21.2% for the quarter and 22.6% for the fiscal year. Now, Michelle will go over financial results in more detail, but let me discuss the underlying drivers of our performance as we closed out the year. People love Portillo's. Many fans bring us into their homes for holiday gatherings and celebrations, and we certainly lost a little bit of momentum during Winter Storm Elliott that week of December 23rd. But weather never keeps Portillo's fans away for very long. As you'll see in a graph provided in our earnings supplement, sales bounce right back the following week, and we've maintained strong sales since. Our entrees sold and transaction metrics are both up year-to-date in 2023. Now, that includes some pent-up demand from the storm, but it also gives us confidence that our price laggard strategy is working well. Again, Michelle's going to give you more detail in a moment, but we feel really good about where we're priced compared to competitors and the value proposition that creates for our guests. 
Let's pivot to where it's a little warmer and talk about what's been happening in the Sun Belt. Recent openings of Kissimmee, Florida, the Colony in Texas, and Tucson, Arizona get us nearly through the class of 22 with, with Gilbert, Arizona on deck to open. And let me express how good that little bit of sunshine feels. In particular, we're thrilled with the reception we've received at our first restaurant in Texas. Since our grand opening on January 18, the Colony has been the number one restaurant across the entire system. This means it's been matching the volumes of restaurants in Chicago that have been open for decades. Specifically, the Colony has averaged $48,000 in sales per day since the grand opening. Now that annualizes to $17 million per year, and that's a crazy number, so please don't model that. It's definitely coming down. But we feel really good that this restaurant will significantly exceed our underwriting expectations and sets us up for further success in Texas as we continue to expand. We took the time we needed to make sure that this restaurant opened well, with everything and everyone in place to be successful. In its first 30 days, guest satisfaction scores at the Colony have outperformed the 30-day average of all the restaurants we've opened since 2021. This early outcome validates what we've learned along the way, that disciplined openings set up our new restaurants for success. We're also getting a really good read on our other restaurants in the class of 22. Our Portillo's pickup location in Joliet, Illinois, has just over a year of operating history now. St. Pete is about to reach its first anniversary, and Cherville, Indiana, has been operating for over a quarter. All these restaurants are performing well, and all are exceeding our underwriting expectations. We expect that to continue for the full class of 22. Looking ahead, we're committed to opening nine new restaurants in 2023 with a heavy emphasis on the Sun Belt. We're already out of the gate in Texas. We recently announced our next locations in Allen and Arlington, and we've started work on both sites. As we continue to navigate the new normal, in the restaurant development life cycle, our 23 openings will still be back half loaded. However, we're already planning to better balance our 24 restaurant openings across the, uh, across the four quarters. As we continue to bring Portillo's to both new and longtime fans across the nation, we remain focused on creating value for our three core constituents. We're taking care of our guests by delivering delicious food at an unbeatable value. We're providing unrivaled work and personal growth experiences for our team members. And for our shareholders, we're committed to improving our already healthy restaurant level margins despite the flurry of restaurant openings in 23. With that, let me hand it over to Michelle. Great, thank you, Michael, and good morning, everyone. Before we discuss our fourth quarter financial results, let me address our November 2022 secondary offering. We completed the sale of approximately 8 million shares of Class A common stock at an offering price of $22.69 per share. We used the proceeds to purchase shares primarily from the private equity firm that acquired Portillo's in 2014 and subsequently sponsored our IPO in 2021. The transaction allowed them to monetize another portion of their holdings in Portillo's. 
This is a common and expected course of action. In private equity-backed IPOs, sponsors will reduce their ownership over time for the simple purpose of returning capital to their limited partners. No one from Portillo's management team sold shares in the offering. We completed two secondary offerings in 2022, which have collectively increased the liquidity of our Class A common stock and diversified our shareholder base. Since the end of Q2 2022, we've increased the amount of publicly traded Class A shares from 50.4% of total shares outstanding to 67% of total shares outstanding. Note that these transactions only cause the ratio between our publicly traded Class A and privately held Class B shares to shift, but total share count remains the same. These transactions have not been dilutive to existing PTLO shareholders. Now turning to the results of our fourth quarter 2022, where we saw strong top-line growth. During the fourth quarter, revenues were up 150.9 million, reflecting an increase of 12 million or 8.6% compared to last year, driven by a 6% increase in same restaurant sales, combined with the opening of five new restaurants since the beginning of the fourth quarter of 2021. The same restaurant sales increase of 6% was primarily driven by an increase in the average check of 6% and a 2.3% impact from the change in recording third-party delivery pricing. This was offset by a 2.3% decrease in transactions. The higher average check was driven by an approximate 7.9% increase in certain menu prices, partially offset by lower items sold per transaction. We experienced positive trends through the quarter until Winter Storm Elliott significantly disrupted sales during the last week of our fiscal quarter. We estimate that the storm had a negative impact of at least 70 basis points on our same restaurant sales growth in the fourth quarter of 2022. Subsequent to the fourth quarter of 2022, we have seen improvements in our sales trends as same restaurant sales grew 12.3% in our first fiscal period of 2023, and we estimate same restaurant sales to grow 7.9% in our second fiscal period of 2023. We currently anticipate our same restaurant sales growth to be in the range of 8 to 10% and total revenue growth to be in the range of 16 to 18% for the first quarter of 2023. We expect to open nine new restaurants in the class of 2023 in the back half of this year, with three to four targeted openings in the third quarter and the remainder in the fourth quarter. Now let's look at our costs. Cost of goods sold, excluding depreciation and amortization, as a percentage of revenues, increased to 35% in the fourth quarter of 2022 from 32.6% in the fourth quarter of 2021. This increase was largely driven by 14.5% average increase across most commodities, especially in beef and chicken. Additionally, cost of goods sold was negatively impacted by 1.4%, resulting from the change in recording third-party delivery pricing. These increases were partially offset by the increase in our average check. In 2023, we expect our overall commodity inflation will ease and our currently estimated mid-single-digit commodity inflation for the full year. As you would expect, it will start high and taper down over the course of the year. For reference, Q3 of 2022 was up 15.4% and Q4 of 2022 was up 14.5%. 
Q1 of 2023 will be a sequential improvement from these past quarters. Now let's look at labor. Labor as a percentage of revenues increased to 26.5% in the fourth quarter of 2022 from 26.2% in the fourth quarter of 2021. The increase was primarily driven by incremental investments to support our team members, including hourly rate increases made in Q3 2022 and higher variable-based compensation expense. These increases were largely offset by an increase in our average check and operational efficiencies. We anticipate making continued wage investments in 2023 and remain committed to providing a competitive total rewards package for our team members. Other operating expenses increased $3 million, or 20%, in the fourth quarter of 2022, which was primarily driven by new restaurant openings in 2021 and 2022, as well as increases in repairs and maintenance expenses. Occupancy expenses were flat as a percent of sales. As a result of the above, restaurant-level adjusted EBITDA decreased 8.5% to $32 million in the fourth quarter of 2022. Restaurant-level adjusted EBITDA margins were 21.2% in the fourth quarter of 2022 versus 25.2% in the fourth quarter of 2021. The 400 basis point decrease in restaurant-level margins was primarily driven by the continued impact of increased commodity costs and, to a lesser extent, labor investments. We partially offset higher expenses through menu price increases and operational efficiencies. We raised menu prices 1.5% in the first quarter of 2022, 3.5% during the second quarter of 2022, and 3.4% during the fourth quarter of 2022. These actions resulted in an effective price increase of approximately 7.9% in the fourth quarter of 2022 and 7.5% year-to-date. During mid-January of 2023, we did increase menu pricing to reflect a net 2% price increase as we continue to combat inflationary cost pressures and restore our margins. Our G&A expenses decreased $33.6 million to 11.7% in Q4 2022 from 37% in Q4 2021. The absence of IPO-related expenses in Q4 2022 contributed to the overall decreases in equity-based compensation of $25.5 million, option holder payments of $6.6 million, and transaction-related fees and expenses of $2.3 million. Variable-based compensation also decreased by $1.7 million in the quarter. These decreases were partially offset by increases in our people and business. We will continue to make investments in G&A in 2023 and estimate that full-year spend will be in the range of $72 to $77 million. Pre-opening expenses increased $1.7 million to 2% in the fourth quarter of 2022 from 0.9% in the fourth quarter of 2021. This increase was due to the timing and geographic location of activities related to our planned restaurant openings at the end of fiscal 22 and early fiscal 2023. We expect pre-opening expenses to be between 7.5 million to 8 million in 2023, which covers four class of 22 restaurants and the nine additional restaurants we expect to open during the second half of the year. All this led to adjusted EBITDA of $18.1 million in the fourth quarter of 22, 
versus 23.2 million in the fourth quarter of 2021, a decrease of 22.1%. Below the EBITDA line, interest expense was 8.4 million in the fourth quarter of 2022, an increase of 0.8 million from the fourth quarter of 2021. This increase was primarily driven by 2 million of additional interest expense on our first lien term loan due to an increased interest rate partially offset by lower outstanding borrowings under our first lien term loan and by the payoff of our second lien term loan. As of the end of the fourth quarter, the effective interest rate on the first lien term loan was 10.4%. On February 2nd, we announced that we entered into a new five-year, $300 million term loan and $100 million new revolver facility. The proceeds under the term loan and revolver facility, along with cash on hand, were used to repay outstanding debt under our previous first lien term loan and transaction-related expenses. At prevailing rates, the all-in interest rate on the term debt has been reduced by approximately 270 basis points. At these rates, we expect that our annual interest expense in 2023 will be approximately $8.5 million lower as compared with our previous debt facilities. This new credit agreement provides additional financial flexibility to pursue our growth strategy and other strategic initiatives. Income tax benefit was $1.7 million in the fourth quarter of 2022 and an income tax expense of $1.8 million for the year. Our effective tax rate for the year was 9.6% versus 20.9% in 2021. Our future effective tax rate will fluctuate as Class A equity ownership increases and as equity-based awards are exercised and vest. We ended the quarter with $44.4 million in cash. Subsequent to the quarter, we deployed approximately $9.7 million of cash on hand in connection with the refinancing to pay off the existing term loan and transaction-related fees and repaid $5 million of outstanding borrowings under our new revolver facility. Going forward, we will be using our cash balance plus operating cash flow to support our continued growth. In 2023, we are estimating our capital expenditures to be between 70 million to 75 million. We remain committed to delivering healthy top line and bottom line growth in 2023 and beyond. More importantly, we're confident in our long-term outlook that was provided in our earnings release this morning. Thank you for your time. And with that, I'll turn it back to Michael. Thanks, Michelle. Before we open for questions, I want to thank our Portillo's team members for all of their hard work in 2022. We persevered during a challenging year for the restaurant industry, and this is because we kept our focus on what matters, an unrivaled experience for our team members and our guests, and it's working. Our guest satisfaction scores continue to be the highest they've been in three years. Consumers are choosing Portillo's. Our sales and comp trajectory continue to show that. In 2023, we're focused on balancing the needs of our three core constituents. We're creating value for our guests by delivering delicious food at a great price point. We're creating value for our team members through great work experiences. And we're creating shareholder value by improving our already healthy restaurant level margins. We'll keep delivering on those promises. Thank you. With, with that, operator, can we open the line for questions? Yes. 
If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. And for participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. Our first question is from Sarah Senator with Bank of America. Please proceed. Oh, great. Thank you. I actually just wanted to sort of dig into the margin piece and the cost outlook. Um, and specifically, if you can give us any kind of guidance, I know you're looking to improve that. Um, maybe sort of talk through how much price you expect to have on the menu. And also, um, more specifically, you talked about continued labor investments. Uh, my sense had been that your wage inflation has been pretty much in line with the industry in the in the double digit range in 2022. So you could talk to that. Is 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 it that maybe perhaps you got a later start to raising wages? Is it to stay ahead of the curve? Should we expect to see more broadly maybe another wage in, wage cycle um, in 2023? I'm just trying to understand sort of the the complexion of of the margin outlook and and wages in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good morning, Sarah. Um, let me let me start, and then I'll turn it over to Michelle. On, on pricing, I mean, I don't think. I, hopefully, it's not lost to anyone that our you know our our pricing last year lagged our competition. And when we look, you know, when I when we look at the underlying metrics, when we look at our traffic trends, our sandwich count metrics, when we look at guest satisfaction scores, speed of service scores we feel really, really good about the value that we're providing guests, and we think that we have, um, we have untapped pricing power. And so I'm not going to say specifically how much we're going to price this year, but we feel like we have pricing power, and it's, it's, it's right and appropriate to catch up to the pack in terms of overall pricing. Um, on, and then I'll let Michelle talk about labor. The one thing I'll tell you that the gift that keeps on giving for us on labor is we have worked very, very hard as an organization to make sure that we are providing a great experience and a great environment for our team members. And we see that our gap in hourly turnover versus the rest of our competitors is actually getting bigger. So we, we have anywhere from a 40 to 50 point gap on turnover versus other limited service restaurant companies. And our gap on turnover with our, our management teams has also increased. So. And, and you know, right, turnover is hugely important to this industry. There's soft costs and hard costs associated with it. The hard cost is relatively easy to measure. Soft cost is a little bit harder to measure. I think that the investments that we're making more than pay for themselves in terms of team member satisfaction, lower turnover, which in turn generates better guest experiences. Yes, yeah, Sarah, I would just add on to what Michael's saying in terms of the, the pricing and the margins. Uh, with the pricing that we put out there uh, with the 2% we took in Q1, we'll be at around 9-ish percent in the first quarter of 23. And then we'll be then lapping a price increase in mid-May. So if that falls off, you'd be at uh, about 5.5% price if we, if we took no action. But as Michael said, um, we're going to remain fluid and flexible in our pricing approach. We're not committing to anything beyond what we've already announced. Uh, with the January price increase because we got to continue to see how the landscape plays out with both commodities as well as the labor environment. Um, I mentioned on, the, on my prepared remarks, we do expect to continue to make investments in labor. I think when you look at, uh, you mentioned it, our, our labor inflation in uh, 22, 
we saw uh, you know double-digit inflation that started to come down a bit in the back half of the year. So we were at about nine percent labor rate inflation in the fourth quarter. Um, I expect that to uh, come down as as we start to lay up some of those numbers, but uh, we do expect to make the continued investments in labor as well in 23. Okay, and sorry, just to put a finer point on it, um, you know, it sounds like you can take price, um, you think, to cover, you know, broadly cover inflation. So as we think about margin expansion, should we be thinking about, you know, leverage on positive transactions, or is there something else um, that, you know, might go into that? Yes, Sarah, absolutely. We've always discussed as we think about uh, combating inflationary pressures using price as a mechanism to do that. So we'll continue um, to think of it in that regard. And then the other thing is our operational efficiencies that, you know, we've talked about over the course of 22. You know, we're going to be looking at can can we do some additional things within our restaurants uh, from that standpoint, um, you know, to, to help the margin profile. Um, and then, you know, the expectation is, and Michael mentioned this in his remarks, that transactions as well as our uh, entree count has been positive uh, year-to-date. I know it's early on, but, um, you know, it's to be determined the remainder of the year, but we're seeing good trends there early on. Great. Thank you very much. Yep. Our next question is from Sharon Zaxia with William Blair. Please proceed. Hi. Good morning. I'm curious um, if you could talk about commodity inflation. I know you mentioned it's going to drop off as the year goes on, um, and it would be lower than the the fourth quarter sequentially in the first quarter. But you know, there's a lot of room to be lower than 14 and a half percent. So, can, can you give us kind of how you expect commodities to play out as the year progresses? And I don't know if I missed it, but did you talk about kind of where you are on the percent of your basket that's locked? Yeah, Sharon. Um, obviously, the year is, you know, there's a lot of year left to play out, but I don't expect it to be the 14.5% we saw in Q4. As I said, I do expect sequential improvement, but as you can imagine, I don't expect that to fall off a cliff either and all of a sudden get us into a range that is, um, you know, single digits or even mid-single digits. Um, but based on what we know today, um, what I would expect is that, again, that improvement quarter over quarter, we have uh, locked in, we do have some hedge positions. Uh, We're at about 34, about a third locked for the full year in 23. Um, As you know, most of the positions that we take is generally on those B flats where we do forward buys on that. And so we have that pretty locked in for Q1. Um, We've taken some positions in the remaining quarters on that particular line item. And then we're working through, uh, you know, some other items on our basket today. Um, But I do expect the easing in those chicken and pork proteins, uh, as most have said, uh, over the course of the year. But beef, again, uh, expect that to be uh, more of a pressure in the back half of the year as uh, as we continue to see um, um, that trend. So that's what we know today. Um, But, again, a lot of year left to play out, and we'll update you as we continue to get more information. Thanks for that. And then a quick question on the colony. I mean, those are pretty jaw-dropping volumes. I can't even imagine what it's like to be a team member at that location. I guess just given those volumes and understanding, there's some honeymoon, but still, I mean, does that kind of accelerate any idea of of opening a location that might cannibalize some of that? I'm not familiar if, if you've got something in the pipeline that might take off some of that pressure. Um, I 
Thank you first, because you're right. These are they're like eye popping numbers, and the team has been fantastic. And I think we have, you know, like we've learned a lot, and we have we we probably have over invested in experienced, talented Portillo's management down there, and and our team is doing an amazing job. So we're very very proud of that team. Uh, it 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 we had planned for, and I think we publicly said this another four to five restaurants in Texas. You know, we want to kind of be in that four to five range by the end of this year, 23 in Texas. So we've announced two more. Um, and, you know, don't be surprised if we build a, a few more in Texas this year. I think the colony will settle down. And, and uh, I don't think we need to think about cannibalizing it quite yet. I think that that's a restaurant that's going to settle down. Uh, it, it is an iconic flagship restaurant for us in a, in a fantastic location. And so my expectations is that it performs closer to like a Chicago market restaurant than a typical um, out-of-core restaurant. But it, it, I'll tell you what it does, Sharon. We, we have a lot of people asking us questions about, do you think you'll succeed in Texas? Do you think that people will eat Italian beef in Texas? Uh, and, I, and I, you know, it's only uh, six, eight weeks in, but I, I feel like the answer to that is a resounding yes. They seem to like our beef sandwiches a lot. Uh, no surprise, beef and bread works really well in the great state of Texas. All right, thank you. Our next question is from David Tarantino with Baird. Please proceed. Uh, hi, good morning. Just first a, a, a question about the fourth quarter. I don't think you mentioned um, the entree count growth. If, if you had the entree count growth number, that would be helpful. Yeah, David, it was in the quarter, it was negative for the quarter, but if we excluded the impact of the storm, we would have been flat. Okay, but great. But all in, it was negative for the yeah. quarter, would have been flat excluding the impact of the storm. Okay, great. And then, you know, just kind of circling back on, on the new unit performance, especially in Texas, um, I guess, Michael, you know, based on your observations or your data collection on, uh, for that location, you know, I, I was wondering if you could just elaborate on why you think it was so strong in the early days. Do you think it's more related to the site you picked, or do you think it's more related to the consumer demand for your type of um, product? I know you mentioned, you know, that the beef sandwiches, you know, are popular, but I guess What's your what's your thought on this being a leading indicator for the rest of the market? You know, as you as you uh, go forward. Uh, great question, David. I, you know, I'm I'm going to give you a cop out answer because it's a little bit of everything you just said. It is undeniably a great location, and we're thrilled to be partnering with, you know, the folks who developed that area. There's a Nebraska Furniture Mart there. There's a Shields. Those are world-class retailers, and we have a fantastic location in a very, very well-designed development. So that's, that's an undeniable truth. You know, it's right next to a business complex in Frisco. Uh, it's a mile away from all of the office buildings in Frisco, so it's great. Now, that said, we – invested time, energy, and money in marketing Texas. We sent the beef bus down for two tours to generate excitement, energy, and demand. We over-invested uh, to some extent with a fantastic multi-unit manager down there, uh, a fantastic general manager down there, 
and 70% of our management team and crew chiefs have Portillo's experience. So we, we stack the deck to make sure that we can handle these volumes, et cetera. We are, you know, despite all that, I am uh, a little surprised and overwhelmed by the response that we've gotten. Uh, I, think, I think that you know, tech, Texas can be either hit or miss for restaurant companies. If you do well, if you really, you know, you approach it with a sense of humility and work your butt off, you can be great. If you, if you try to mail it in and just assume you're going to be great, you, you might stub your toe. Um, we are approaching our Texas expansion with a great deal of humility. We're looking for A-plus locations. We're going to continue to overinvest in management team and training of our team members. Uh, we'll open the restaurant when it's beautiful and ready to go and the folks are ready to go. And so I, I think we did just a, a lot of things right. Uh, and, uh, and as we continue to evolve and develop, we'll continue to get a lot of things right. And so my hope is that it is a precursor of what we can expect for uh, Texas. But, you know, look, Florida's doing really well. Our, our newest restaurant in Tucson, Arizona, is, is just fantastic. We, we feel like we're, uh, we've got the flywheel working for us in, uh, in the Sun Belt. Yeah, that's helpful. And then one, one more quick one on Texas. Is Texas, I guess my impression is it's a, a lower cost market to operate in, but I guess how would you characterize, you know, whether it's construction costs or, or labor costs, you know, relative to your typical financial model? Is it, is it, is it you know, is, am I right that that's a lower cost market? I mean, there are certain elements that make it easier, I would say, to work in Texas, but we're, you know, we're, uh, our first restaurant there is in a relatively high-priced location. We're paying really well. You know, we're not, we're not, we're, we're paying for great labor. We expect greatness out of our team. So uh, I would, I would tell you that um, uh, don't, don't think of it as coming out of the gate with Chicago-like margins. Got it. All right. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Brian Harbour with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. Good morning. Yeah, thank you. To that point you just made, Michael, maybe comment on, you know, the margin performance of some of the other new locations, not just Texas, but are they are they coming in better than you expected um, or, or perhaps not? And how do we think directionally about the impact of those new units as we think about margins for the first quarter and then also kind of the second half of the year where you will have quite a few openings as well? Yeah, I'm gonna, let me give you a, sort of the philosophical part of the, the question, the answer, and then I'm going to let Michelle give you a little bit more. Um, but keep in mind, when we open a new restaurant, it, it's, it's, I, would, I would really be hesitant to draw any conclusions about margin in the first couple of quarters because we, uh, we have a new restaurant opening team helping out. We overinvest in management. When you're running at the volumes that we have right now, you need all hands on deck to help. And it's very important to provide guests a fantastic experience, right? You can, you know, when you're, when you're first in market, you're at a new restaurant, it's really important to provide a great experience or, or you're going to chase people away for a long time. So we overinvest, and I frankly don't even care about the margin coming out of the gate for the first couple quarters. It will stabilize over the course of the year, and then it will improve. What, what we think works really well is get the restaurant on the right footing, get it going right away uh, from a guest satisfaction standpoint, from uh, enticing crew members to stick around, 
And then the margin comes fast. And for us, you know, we, we, Michelle's talked about this in the past, that when we reach six to eight restaurants, there's like an inflection point on our operating, uh, operating margins. And so once we've decided that a market's going to work for us, it is, it is important to us to get to scale relatively quickly to start seeing that uh, material margin improvement. Yeah, and I think just to add on to that, um, Brian, Michael's absolutely right. As, as we talked about the profile for a class of restaurants, right, and that's sort of how we're bucketing these when you talk about the class of 22 or even the class of 23, the, the typical profile for that class is, you know, high teens, margins in year one, uh, slight improvement to flattish in year two, and then it starts to grow uh, in year three. Um, scale does matter, as, as Michael pointed out, so that's going to be important as, as we continue to get to scale. Um, but I think that when you think about the overall margin profile of Portillo's, as Michael mentioned in his prepared, prepared remarks, we're committed to improving that despite the restaurant openings in 23. Uh, because we know and we've talked about that we purposefully uh, had had margin degradation in 22 because of our price laggard approach. And so that is what we're looking to do in 23, despite the openings. Okay, thank you. Um, yep. Separately, maybe just talk about food delivery and, and what you are still seeing there on, on a year-over-year -year basis, uh, maybe on a quarter-over-quarter -quarter basis, if you still continue to see that. Um, be quite strong, and then also um, maybe on you know in new units. How do those do just on third-party delivery? Yeah, great question. So we're you know like uh, God God bless the people doing third-party delivery because it just keeps on growing, and so it's performing well for us. The channel continues to grow. Uh, it's it's probably continuing to do a little bit of mix shift for us. So um, we're seeing we're seeing continued growth in third-party delivery, even through um, the course of 22 and into the fourth quarter. So that is definitely happening. Your latter question, the, the last part of your question about uh, new units is, is a very good question because we're, we're very thoughtful about metering the channel so that we don't overwhelm a new restaurant. And, and let me tell you what I mean by that. Our Orlando restaurant came out of the gate blazing had a fantastic first year and um can we tell how much no okay so but it had a fantastic first year we did not want to overwhelm that team so we did not have third-party delivery pickup or catering turned on on purpose um and and we've only recently after a little bit over a year added a channel added another channel so now it's got the whole you know the whole whole uh, mix the colony does not have third-party turned on, does not have digital ordering turned on, does not have catering. Right now, it is exclusively dine-in, pick-up, and drive-through. And, and that's on purpose because we, you know, it's doing such crazy volumes, we don't want to create excess pressure and create more channel uh, uh, stress right now. So for new restaurants, that's a very, that is a, sort of a new normal for us, which is expand the channel outreach over time once the restaurant stabilizes and can handle the volumes. Thank you. Our next question is from Dennis Geiger with UBS. Please proceed. Thank you and good morning guys and uh, congrats on the, the colony and some of the other 
strengths in, in the other recent openings. I, I wanted to ask first sort of on, on supply chain permitting and then any other delays as it relates to targeted openings for this year and how you're thinking about this year. Is, is, there, is there any update there? Um, and I guess maybe, Michael, if you could just kind of touch on, on build costs, how that's trending and any kind of expectation for this year relative to what you, uh, you saw in 22. Yeah. On timing, um, look, I think I, I'm sure you've heard this from every other uh, restaurant company, but there, there seems to be a new normal in how long it takes to get through certain uh, administrative processes with governments, et cetera. And so um, we've, we've built in significantly more time for permitting, for you know, all this stuff. Um, the, the things that are under our control you know, we feel pretty good about where we're getting better, we're getting smarter, we're getting faster. We, you know, we built uh, three of the restaurants that we built were with first-time uh, national scale general contractors. That's what we've got to do. We've got to, we've got to become a scale uh, construction company. And so I feel good that we have, I feel good that we have learned a lot and that we are more pragmatic and planful in when we think things are going to open. It is honestly, Dennis, it's why the, the 23 is so back half loaded. You know, I would never want it to be back half loaded in a perfect setting. And so my expectation is 24 is much closer to bright, and then 25 should be perfect. You know, we should have, and, and, and perfect for us, I think, is 60, 70% of the restaurants are open in the front half, and the remainder open in the third quarter, maybe one in the fourth quarter. That's what great looks like. So we're not great in 23. We're back half loaded, far more than I would prefer. But that's, you know, that is neither here nor there. Um, and then when, in terms of construction costs, it's, it has, I would describe it as it has tapered a bit. It hasn't, it hasn't come back to earth. And, it, and I don't know if, I don't know how much of it will. I don't know how much of it won't. Um, we've talked about this before. What that means for us, is because we're still very committed to hitting the financial targets that we have set. So it means Michelle and I are only approving restaurants that we think are going to far exceed uh, some of the numbers that we would have looked at in the past because the build cost is higher. Um, we're also being very thoughtful about how much money we're spending to build our restaurants. We, you know, we've, we've talked about the restaurant of the future. I think in the class of 24, we'll start building restaurants that are smaller, more versatile, and have the ability to generate the plus-size volumes that we want. And so I think we've got to skin this cat in those two ways. We've got to be more thoughtful and frugal in how we're building. Still want a great experience for guests, but uh, a build, build a lower-cost building. I don't like the word cheaper. So it's got to be lower cost for still a gorgeous, inviting, engaging building. And we have to be thoughtful that the restaurants that we're signing up for, that the revenue uh, will still greatly, you know, uh, greatly achieve all of our aspirations for returns. Michelle, anything? Very, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, he, he said it all. We're committed to the cash-on-cash cash returns we've laid out there, and um, that's what we look at when we approve new restaurants. Yeah. Very, uh, very helpful color there. Just uh, one other one, uh, helpful commentary on the delivery strength there. Uh, I'm curious, though, if there's anything else to touch on as far as what you're seeing from customers recently changing behaviors across, um, you know, any metrics, channel utilization, et cetera. Thank you. You know, um, you know, if, if it's, it's 
there is a structural shift that is undeniable. Like if you go back to 2019, 53% of our sales were inside the restaurant. In 22, 42% was inside. 2019, all the delivery channels were like 6%. Now they're 14%. Drive-throughs remain roughly the same. And so it's just a question of that, that inside the restaurant, how much of that keeps coming back and where does it come from? So delivery continues to grow, and I think everyone's aware that the price points on a third-party delivery are materially different than if you go through the drive-thru, you pick it up in the restaurant, there's you know, fees, et cetera, and tip, and all those things add up. But that consumer uh, sort of defies any price elasticity and continues to be very robust and continues to order from us. So um, I think I would be guessing, Dennis, I'm still surprised that dine-in hasn't picked up more, uh, but it could just be that that's been a structural change that is here to stay. Appreciate it, Michael. Thank you. You bet. Our next question is from Andy Barish with Jeffries. Please proceed. Hey, good morning, everyone. Just um, wanted to dig dig into a little bit more um you know on the on the margin discussion just from an operational improvement efficiency perspective i know you guys have um done some good work around that over the last you know year and a half two years is this something we should think about as kind of annually an opportunity to drive more productivity um you know in your in your business and then Secondly, just um, I, I know you're you're working on a new kitchen 2023 design. How does that roll into the restaurants? Um, you know, for uh, for this year's builds. Yeah. Uh, good morning, Andy. Good to hear from you. Um, so here here's what I'd say. You know, a, I, I we aspire to be a great company and be a great operator, and that means that you're always trying to get better and improve. We're, you know, while we're a 60-plus-year-old brand with a, with a great legacy, there's a lot of things that we can get better at operationally. And so I think operational improvement is a, is a thing that's going to be around at Portillo's for quite a while. And, you know, we had fantastic efficiencies. Uh, we had fantastic efficiencies last year. We, I think, did a, a really good job of becoming more dynamic and efficient. We're doing things that I think will continue to enable that. So, you know, one of the investments that Michelle alluded to with labor is what we call the step-up program. So, you know, if, if, if Andy is my rock star beef maker, but that's all he's done and he's getting to a, a certain hourly wage, you can go and cross-train. You can learn how to make hot dogs at the station we call table. You can turn around and work broiler. And every new station that you learn, we pay you more. And every new station that you learn, you're creating flexibility for the company in terms of staffing and utilization. So that's, that's a gift that's going to give and that we're, we're, we're figuring all the details of that out. And our goal is to deploy the step-up program in the second half of the year. You referenced Kitchen 23, which we saw a significant savings where we tested it. It requires a little bit of CapEx and a little bit of a pain to redo the restaurant. But we think we've got a really good idea on how to do that and we're retrofitting you know we're, we're going to target 15 to 20 restaurants in the Chicago area to retrofit towards kitchen 23 
for this year. That will generate savings. And then on an ongoing basis, you know, we, we carefully look at our items per labor hour. It's a productivity metric. We look at the spread between the top quartile and the bottom quartile. We look at productivity by day, by day part. And there's a lot of there there. There's a lot of opportunity for, you know, we have some restaurants that perform at ridiculously high productivity levels, and there's some learnings there that we can and should be applying to restaurants that are a little less productive. So um, I think that we have a lot of room to improve, and it's a multi-year journey. But, but it's, it's also predicated on taking great care of your team members, right? You want happy, productive team members who are cross-trained, eager to work, and, and that's, when, that's when everything works really well. Yeah, really, really good color. Uh, uh, very helpful, Michael. And, and Michelle, just real quick on the on the other operating expense, you mentioned um, you know NROs um, in the in the four Q. What 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 specifically is that? And was there anything else that that moved it up to twelve percent? I, I imagine utilities were probably uh, pretty high in paper and packaging as well with you know, with catering and things like that, but just kind of wondering if this is a new run rate at about 12% of sales or so. Yeah, Andy, we had some catch-up on repairs and maintenance that I called out in my remarks. Outside of that, you know, obviously year over year when you layer in new restaurants, right, you're going to have have some of that uh, in there, which is what I called out on the new restaurants. The only other thing that I think I would call out to you that um, would be an outlier, again, would be some catch-up uh, that we did on the repairs and maintenance expense in Q4. Um, but in terms of a, uh, a run rate, again, you know, I'm not going to get into future numbers, but, um, you know, that, that's what I call it for Q4. Okay, thanks. Yep. Thanks, Andy. Our next question is from Chris O'Cole with Stifo. Please proceed. Yeah, good morning, and congrats on the recent store openings. Very impressive. Um, Thank Michelle, you, Chris. Michelle, given the comp trajectory in the first quarter, how should we be thinking about traffic or on-trade count growth as comparisons start to normalize? I think, Chris, Michael called out that we've seen positive transaction growth uh, year-to-date, so that's through the first two periods. Um, the thing that, you know, we continue to see is, and, and I've even talked to you, to you and others about this before, is as we looked throughout 22, uh, particularly in the back half of the year, we continued to see a, a negative impact from mix, right, which was that attachment or that items per transaction. My expectation is, is I don't expect that to immediately turn around as we continue to live through this recessionary-like environment. So we're still seeing that as well as we come into 23. Okay. And then it sounds like you expect to expand margin this year despite new, more new store drag, I guess, this year than last year. Other than pricing, what do you, what do you think are going to be the primary drivers of that improvement? Yeah, pricing is def- definitely a lever, Chris, that we're going to be looking to pull as the primary lever. Um, and again, I mentioned we put in the 2% in January. There's nothing else that Michael and I have aligned on moving forward. We're going to, again, continue to see how the environment looks. But then I would just point to exactly what Michael just said when he was talking to Andy about the improvements that we're looking at in terms of Kitchen 23, um, our step-up program, and then as we look at our items per labor hour, which is our efficiency metric, 
uh, that we measure in our restaurants. So we're going to be looking, um, can we make some improvements there? So those are the two things, but pricing would be the primary lever. And just as a follow-up to that labor question, I think you said there's some labor investments planned for this year. Can you remind us what the magnitude and timing of those investments are expected to be relative to when you start to lap the investments you made in 22? Yeah, we don't, We, as Michael mentioned, Chris, we haven't determined exactly when we're going to put in place the step-up program, for example, and um, the labor decisions haven't been made fully. We put in place last year um, in Q3, the beginning of Q3, a round of increases uh, into our restaurants. And so that's when you'll start to lap uh, some of those increases this year. But uh, TBD on what we're going to do in 23, we haven't made all those decisions. Okay, thanks. Yep. Yeah. Our next question is from Gregory Frankfort with Guggenheim. Please proceed. Hey, um, uh, thanks, thanks for the question. I, can you talk just a little bit about the, the, the recent sales trends you're seeing to start 1Q? I, I mean, the, the, particularly the January number is really strong. And, and I think the whole industry's had a little bit of a pickup, but the industry may have easier comparisons, and I think you guys have tougher comparisons. Yeah. Um, so can you maybe talk about that dynamic and um, is there anything regionally that you're seeing or just, just thoughts on the consumer strength as a whole? Thanks. Yeah, I think – so, um, Greg, here, here's I, – I would just – I think January was honestly a little bit of a bounce back, some pent-up demand from that last week of December that we missed out on, so that there's a chart in the supplemental that kind of, I think, clearly identifies that. Now – even if you neutralize that, we are seeing, you know, we're seeing a little bit more momentum in our business. Uh, I would tell you it's broad-based. It's not any individual market. It's broad-based momentum in our business. We feel really good about both the uh, traffic trends as well as the sandwich count trends. And by the way, tra you know, as, as our channel mix begins to stabilize, and I think traffic is the, the probably the more straightforward way to describe it, but, like, we feel really good about that. I know I sound like a broken record, but for the last nine months, we've seen consistently improving guest satisfaction scores, speed of service scores, value perception scores. So I attribute our, um, you know, our, our step up in performance for the first two months that our price laggard strategy is working. We're providing great value to our guests. They're telling us that they find great value. They're satisfied with us. Um, our, our guest satisfaction scores are now at three-year highs, and I think that our, our strategy is working. We've, we've lagged a little bit on pricing. You know, we've said this. We invested in our guests in 22, and that is generating uh, a little bit of, uh, I guess, beta when it comes to revenue performance at the beginning of 23. Uh, th th thanks for that. And then just, just a follow-up question on the step-up program. I mean, I, I kind of hadn't heard of uh, any restaurant doing anything like this before of, of paying you a little bit more as you kind of add different capabilities as a worker. Yeah. What, what, what drove the design of that? And um, I mean, is, is are, are workers today in your restaurants just less cross-functional than they were in the past and you're trying to get back to a certain level? Is this going to put you at a kind of a new level of cross-functionality of workers? I'm just, any thoughts on that and the kind of what, where the genesis of the idea came from? Thanks. I think it's, it's honestly, it's rooted in, in the concept of pay for performance, pay for play. So 
the first thing is when we ask our team members what make, you know, we want to keep people. You want to keep great people. You want them motivated. You want them happy. And it's undeniable that when people are learning new things that they're actually happier. They actually like being able to do different things. So the genesis of this, truthfully, was that we want to keep our team members happy. We want them cross trained. We want them to be able to work multiple stations, multiple shifts. It's probably more important to us than some other restaurant companies because we do have so many different stations within our restaurant. And it's a great way of rewarding that. So we can create a win-win dynamic. We can create really happy, engaged, excited team members because they're learning and growing. We actually can make our investors very happy because we can staff more efficiently and get labor productivity. And our guests are happy because they're getting high-quality team members who are super excited to be there. So it's a, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a hat trick of wins for us. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for the thoughts. You bet. As a reminder, it is star one on your telephone keypad. And our next question is from Brian Mullen with Deutsche Bank. Please proceed. Hey, thank you. Uh, question on the balance sheet. Uh, congrats to the team on getting the refinancing done. Um, you know, Michelle, with that in the rearview mirror, could, could you just touch on the priorities after you fund the CapEx requirement needed for the growth of the business? Just, just philosophically, I'm wondering if you'd be inclined to want to pay down debt and deleverage a bit over time or whether you'd be more inclined to start to look at capital return over time. And then is, is there a target net leverage ratio or a, a range we should we should keep in mind that you think is optimal? Yeah, Brian, great questions. And, yeah, we're, we're definitely excited to free up a bit more cash from uh, the refinancing and have that in the rearview mirror. Um, as as I, I think uh, you all saw during our investor day, we, we laid out where the CapEx is going to go. And so, you know, the vast majority of our cash is going to be to fund the new restaurants that we're going to build, um, put investments into existing restaurants, uh, and then continue to make investments in other things like technology, et cetera. You know, we've talked about digital menu boards, those type of things. Outside of that, to the extent that we have excess cash, I mentioned on the call, you know, we've started to already pay down that revolver. So we had $15 million outstanding on the revolver. Uh, I'd like to get that paid down. We paid $5 million off of that uh, a couple days ago, and so we're at $10 million outstanding on the revolver. Outside of all that, I am open to whatever – uh, makes sense and is in the best interest of our shareholders, whether that's paying down debt or uh, other avenues. If, if uh, Michael and I and the rest of the uh, leadership team are comfortable with dialing up growth, then we will do that because uh, obviously that's the best investment. It has a fantastic return. And so that would be the primary avenues we would deploy our capital. Thank you. Yeah, and just sorry, Brian, I didn't answer your question on uh, do we have a targeted lever leverage ratio. I do not have a targeted ratio in my head, um, but I feel very comfortable that we can service the debt, invest in everything I just mentioned, and uh, continue to grow. Thank you. We have reached the end of our question and answer session. This will conclude today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time, and thank you for your participation.